Well, good morning. So let's turn to our Bibles once more, um, reading today in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 6 through to 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. May God's word touch our hearts uh, today. So today, we're going to be looking at the tremendous subject of, of God's love for us. God's, God's love for me. Uh, God's love for you. It says here that God shows, he proves his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I wonder if you were ever asked to prove your love for somebody, what you would do about that. One of the, the great examples of that in the, in the Bible, way back in the first book, Genesis, in chapter 29, is the incident regarding Jacob. Jacob wanted to marry Rachel. He spoke to her father. Um, he didn't just say he would give some chocolates or a bunch of flowers. He had to work for seven years initially. Work for her dad for seven years to win her hand in marriage. And uh, there was a bit of a twist and turn in the story. But in fact, in total, he ended up working for 14 years. Now, if ever there was something that proved the genuineness of somebody's love for somebody else, uh, I mean, I think that is that. Does God have to prove that he loves us? I mean, maybe for some of us, that, that's an open question. Maybe there's still a little bit of, of doubt over whether God actually does love us. Particularly if something difficult has happened in your life, there has been some tragedy that has affected your loved ones, your family, or whatever. You maybe have never said it out loud, but perhaps in your, in your heart, in the quietness, this question has come up, and you've wondered, does, does God care? Does, does God actually love me? Is there any concern in the heart of God? Does God know that I am here? Does he know who I am? Does he know I exist? Does he notice me? And if he does, does he actually love me? Some people are not sure about that at all. 
And that's why we come to this passage here today. Because this tells us how God has proved that he loves us. Conclusively. Certainly. Without any shadow of doubt. And and he does it in two ways that I'd, I'd like to share with you. First of all, verses 6 through 8, through Christ's death. And then secondly, verses 9 through 11, through Christ's life. You'll see that phrase in, in verse 10, where it rather unusually says, we shall be saved by his life. We'll try and explain that later on. But let, let's take the first one. He proves his love, because that's really what that, that means in verse 8 there. God shows his love. He demonstrates it. He has proved his love for us. Now, it's true that God, of course, showed his love by sending his messengers over the, over the years, over the centuries. I was reading the book of Jonah recently. Nineveh was a, a terribly cruel city. Uh, Jonah was sent with a message to the city that if they repented, God would spare them. And uh, Jonah, Jonah wasn't happy. He didn't care for the people at all. He, he was angry. I mean, the whole book is just filled with the, this kind of resentment and anger that's just brimming over in the heart of, of, of Jonah. He didn't care a toss as far as Nineveh was concerned and the people there. And God had to bring them back to it that you might not care, Jonah, but, but I care, even, even for this place, and even despite all the stuff that they've got into and all the stuff that's happened and all that they're responsible for, and I'm willing to spare them if they turn to me. Yes, God showed his love through his prophets, often failing prophets. Yes, it's true, God showed his love by the gift of his Son, when he came into our world. God, I love that little word, so loved the world. You know, it's not, it's not quantifying it. He so loved the world that he gave his son. Now, this isn't, this isn't love from God at a distance. This is not love at arm's length. This is more than talk through his prophets. This is God himself taking humanity, living among us, coming to us, Emmanuel, God with us and living here. And we know all these wonderful gospel narratives, don't we? The stories about the love of Jesus, his friends. It says, John 11, he loved them. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. He loved Lazarus. Martha says, Lord, won't you come? The one that you love, he's sick. And when he stood at his grave and he wept, the people observed and they commented and said, look at how much he loves him. And we know that was true. He said it himself. He looked out on the multitudes. He saw them lost, aimless. He saw their lives. He said, I have compassion on the multitude. He saw them like sheep 
that didn't have a shepherd to care for them. And he had compassion upon them. Yes, he showed his love. But here it is. It's this point in these verses that above and beyond everything else is the proof that God loves me and he loves you. It's in his death. It says it again, doesn't it? He proves his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for me. He knew me even before my eyes saw the light of day. And the same is for you. And, and he loved me despite the kind of life I've lived and the kind of things I've not done and done. And it's not as if there's anything attractive about me or you. There's nothing that appeals to God in that sense that is worthy there is nothing that is, is deserving. It's not because of my kindness or my goodness or my purity or my constancy. But none of these things. God looks at all of us and, and he loves us. And Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Now that's why it says here this analogy that somebody might possibly die for a good person. I mean, we can understand that. This is Remembrance Day. We're not so sure if somebody would, would die for a righteous person. Uh, sometimes, if somebody's mainly characterized by righteousness, there can be something a little bit cold and aloof. And maybe even a wee bit of a hint of self-righteousness that is frankly not always attractive. And so you may not get somebody willing to lay down their life for someone who's merely a righteous person. But the chances are if they're going to do it, they will do it for a good person. They would take the bullet for their mother or for their child. Somebody who was good. But, but the point that's being made here is that, but God, as far as he is concerned, he shows his love. It's while we weren't righteous or good, but, but while we were still sinners. Now that word still is important. We are still in that situation. We remain there. It's not as if we're looking to get out of it. We're not making any headway or progress or advance or moving towards God or trying to do anything. We're still missing the mark. We're still falling short. We're still making a mess. And we're still there. And it's at that point when we're weak, just at the right time, at the moment of, of greatest need, when we require the most help, that he dies for us upon the cross at Calvary. Look at the words that are, are used in our, in our section that emphasize this point. 
It's while I'm weak. Verse 6. Powerless, without strength, inability to do anything about my situation. It's while, verse 6, I am ungodly, not like God. I don't have the qualities that God has. I'm not talking about his power and greatness. I'm talking about the qualities of his goodness and his holiness. I'm not like that. I'm the opposite of that, actually. I'm godless. I'm ungodly. And despite me being described in all of these ways, it is Christ who dies for me. And that's the contrast, of course, isn't it? Put both of us together, Christ on the one hand, and me and you on the other hand. The greatness, the attraction, the goodness, the righteousness, the truest person that there ever has been, our Lord Jesus Christ, who loves me and who died for me, weak, ungodly sinner. And yet this is the unequivocal proof of the love of Christ. And Paul, the writer of course, he knew that individually. He wrote elsewhere that the Son of God loved me. You know, and I think it's just the kind of enormity of all of that. When he writes, he's almost kind of overcome because he knows what he was like. He knew how he persecuted the church. He knew how he was responsible for the murder of early Christians. And he knew the kind of attitude of aggression and hostility that that was his. And yet he says, yet he loved me. He met me. He didn't disregard me. He stopped me in my tracks. He loved me and he gave himself for me. And it's at this point that we need to turn our eyes to Calvary, don't we? We need to think about that again. The greatest demonstration of God's love for us. And the point, I mean, Calvary carries so many messages. Calvary has has so many points that Scripture develops, and it teaches us so many things. But, But the one thing that we're going to talk about today that is without a doubt demonstrated there is is, is the love of God. It's the love of God for sinners. And we look around on that awful scene upon that hill and we see the duplicity of the the priests. They're, They're conniving. They're their manipulation of the situation. We, we, we see the fickleness of the, of the crowds that had benefited so much from the goodness of Christ. And now they've been able to just be flipped and they're shouting out for his crucifixion. And we see the, the murderers, the thieves, the insurrectionists, two of them on crosses next to him, cursing him initially. We see the callousness of the Roman soldiers gambling at the foot of the cross. And yet for all of that, and that was just the immediate scene, and we extend that throughout history, we extend that to ourselves, who look on Christ, sometimes with similar attitudes, callousness, fickleness, 
deceptiveness. And he dies for us. He loves us. And he gives his life. Greater love has no man than this. We often hear that said today. That a man lays down his life for his friends. Christ laid down his life for the ungodly. For sinners who hated him. And that's a wonderful message that, that we can extend to ourselves today that comes to us from this book today, the Gospel of Christ. The tremendous message, unequivocal, without any doubt whatsoever, the absolute proof that you are loved by God. Never feel... I mean, it is a terrible thing at times to, to go through life and feel that you're not loved. That nobody cares. I was talking about Jacob. And Rachel. There was a triangle in that story of course. Wasn't there? If you remember. Back in Genesis 29. Leah. The unloved other wife. She knew it. All the way through. She knew it. Jacob didn't love her. In fact. If you read down the birth of her first three children and the names that she gives to her first three children. Every name carries that message in it. She names her children that carry this, this sadness. He doesn't love me. You know, perhaps he'll love me now. You know, you might think that. You maybe have thought that as far as some of your relationships are concerned. But this morning, there is no doubt at all that you're loved by God. God loves you. And he has demonstrated that. In that Christ, his only beloved son, has died because he loved you. And so that you could be forgiven. And that I could be saved. Now, that is not a carte blanche. I have to respond to that. I, I, I just can't stand there. I have to open my heart to his love. I have to respond to his love. It's a bit like, it's a bit like Judas. He'd walked with him the whole way. One of the, the twelve witnessed everything, heard the words of Christ. And there they are sitting around the table, the Last Supper. And he knew, Jesus knew, what lay in front of him the very next day. And he knew who would betray him. And uh, in eating the Passover meal, he, he takes a piece of bread. And the custom was, that for a special friend, you, you dipped that and you, and you offered it to them as a token of friendship. And he looked at Judas and he, and he gave him it, my friend. And Judas closed his heart. And he went out and it was night. It wasn't just night, it was night in his soul. He went out to betray Christ. And to betray him with the traitor's kiss. Someone who was loved by Christ. And yet closed his heart off. 
Jesus said about Judas, it would be better for that man if he had never been born. He went to his own place. Satan entered into his soul. And so this wonderful story of the love of Christ, it doesn't just mean that comprehensively and we throw a blanket over the entire world or over this entire audience today and say, because of that, all of us will reach heaven. God's love is there. It's demonstrated. But we have to respond in faith. We've learned that time and time again. To open our hearts and thank him for it. And say that we love him. Because he has first loved us. Secondly, and more briefly. There is a second proof that you are loved by Christ. And it's not his death this time. But it's his life that is talked about. He proves his love through what he now does in living. And of course that is our great hope. That he is risen. And that he ascended and he is currently at the right hand of the majesty on high. A risen Lord Jesus Christ. And it says here in verse 10 that in a sense we can be saved by his life. Now, the argument that is being used here is a, very, is a very kind of logical thing, as Paul always is here. And it's what I might call, from verses 9 and 10, you'll notice this, this phrase is repeated. It's, it's what I might call a much more argument, much more. Because what he's saying now is this, that um, if while we were God's enemies, he was so good to us, if while we were at a distance to God, before we responded in faith to Christ, if when we were in that position, he did so much for us then, just think how much more he is going to do for us now that we have been reconciled. And that is the position of those who have opened their hearts to the love of Christ. And, and this is what he says, now that we are his, verse 9, since we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. What's Christ's life like now? What is he doing and, and, and saving us in the sense of not from the guilt of sin, but from the power of sin? He's, he's preserving us. He's sustaining us. He's protecting us. He's, he's caring for us. He's helping us to persevere and to keep on going. And, and he will present us one day before the presence of God in heaven with exceeding joy. He, he can do that. That good work which he, he started, he'll bring that right all the way through to the end. He'll conclude it. He can do that. He can save to the uttermost everyone who comes to God through him. 
What is his life? Well, there are two words in our New Testament that basically sum up a description of Christ's current life in heaven. The first one is the word advocate. And you'll read that in First John. If anyone sins, says John, if anyone of you Christians falls, stumbles, sins, you know what? You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We know what an advocate is, a lawyer who, who speaks in your defense, who speaks on your behalf, who, who, who defends you. When I sin and my conscience condemns me and I feel terrible about it and Satan is the accuser of the Christians before God, he accuses us. They're rubbish. You know, look at that individual. We've got somebody who, who speaks and who defends and who says they're mine. Yes, they've fallen, but they're someone who I love and who I've died for and they've been pardoned. And continually now, Christ protects and saves us through his life as an advocate, a defender of his people. Second word, priest. Book of Hebrews goes on about this. In fact, not just priest, not just high priest, but great high priest, the best of all priests. The priests were loved by the people. They'd been there for all their lives. The old man that they would go and see who was kind and good and who represented them before God, who understood their failures and their failings and who was sympathetic to them who had feelings for them, and he cared for them, and he represented them before God. And, and that's what Christ is like in heaven. He prays for us. He understands, and he sympathizes. He has got feelings for his people, and this is his life. How much more shall we be saved through his life that he lives in his capacity as priest? In heaven, mediator before God on behalf of his people. This is the current active, present characteristic of the life of Christ that proves his ongoing love for his people. So, am I still doubting God's love? Look to Christ's death. Look to heaven. And just remind yourself of Christ's life. Christ's love is not inconsequential. It is not a minimalist thing. Can I remind you about verse number 5? His love has been poured out into our hearts by his Spirit. It's not just a little dribble that comes out. It's not just a a half cup. The love of God in its magnitude has been overwhelmingly lavished and poured out upon us. A number of years ago, I, uh, with a friend, uh, visited uh, 
the Somme area and a lot of the memorials to those who had given their lives during the First World War. And one of the things that impressed me about the memorials was, was the magnitude. It was the size of these memorials. They, they were massive. You know, irrespective of what nation had constructed them, whether it was the Canadians or the French or whoever, they were massive things. And of course, the point that was being symbolized just by the scale of the monuments was the scale of the carnage and the scale of the cost. And today, you know, this message of God's love, it's massive. It's not, it's not a small thing. It's massive. His love has been poured out, poured out like rivers and the cross when he died for us. And in heaven currently, as he lives for us. None, none of us need to ever, ever feel that we are unloved by God. None of us need to go away from this place today feeling that we are not loved by God. He shows his love, his own love, his particular quality of love to us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let us open our hearts this morning to the love of Christ again and go in the enjoyment that I am loved by God. Now shall we pray? Lord, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful truth, the wonderful gospel of Christ, of your love for us, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Touch all our hearts today in gratitude and in adoration of the Lord Jesus as we thank you for him and all he has done in his precious name. Amen.